And so, God, I pray that as we work through this passage, that you give us insight and wisdom and application. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he had heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the, he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought he meant that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now a little bit of context recap right here. A man named Lazarus has fallen ill. This is a man that Jesus loved, okay? We, we see that twice uh, in that passage. And so these, these people have a relationship. Uh, we, we learn from this passage and other passages that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are some of Jesus' closest friends and some of his closest disciples. And he loves them. This is not the generic uh, type of love uh, that you speak of when we say God loves the world necessarily. This is a particular uh, filial relationship, brother-to-brother, sister-to-sister type love, a particular type love. That he has with these people. He loves them. And this, these are the people that are going through this hardship. I, I, I love how John writes. Uh, he, he's very particular uh, in, in, in the details. So that we know that this is real. Okay? This, this is not just a theoretical man named Lazarus. Who had a theoretical sister named Martha. And a theoretical sister named Mary. This is not a fairy tale of old. This is history. How do we know this? Now a certain man was ill. He's very particular, right? A certain man was ill. Lazarus of where? Bethany. The village of Mary and his sister Martha. He's very particular with the details here. And what we're dealing with here is not a fairy tale story. And what I want you to do is try to seat yourselves into their context. And that's what I challenge the youth to do all the time. Uh, we, we in, well, I'll, I'll expose them a little uh, right now. We, we took a Christmas... Um, test. Okay, we, we took this test last, uh, I guess it wasn't last Sunday, but the Sunday before. It's like a Christmas knowledge test. And, th- and it was 21 questions of Christmas from the Bible. All right, so from the Bible. And it has kind of tricky answers. I can, I can give it to you if you want it. It's pretty funny. Because it, it exposes the fact that much of what we know of Christmas actually comes from stories and not the text itself. 
And so what I always challenge the youth to do is peel back these layers, peel back these layers, and really try to place yourself in the emotion of the text, in the details of the text, so that we can understand the full meaning of the text. And that's my challenge to you uh, this morning. So from the context, we learn who these people are. We learn the situation. A man named Lazarus is ill. He is a real man in real time and space. And Jesus is going to interact with him in real time and space. But we also learn a very, very, very important cue about this illness. We learn the goal of it. The goal of the illness. Which is what? In verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And that brings us to our present text. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came... (coughs) Excuse me. He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Typical. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, what I'm going to do is we're going to look at this narrative passage in in four particular movements. I think there's four things, four major different things that we can look at uh, here. And so we're going to break those down. The first of this is that Jesus walks into a difficult situation. He knows this, but we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the details in verses 17 through 19. Then we're going to look at Martha's interaction with Jesus in verses 20 and 20 through 24. And then we're going to look at Jesus' profound statement. Um, The one that we've entitled the sermon, if you see it in the bulletin, I am the resurrection and the life. And then we're finally going to look at Martha's confession in in verse 27. And so verses 17 through 19, Jesus walks into a difficult situation. Just to reread here. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. When Jesus came, when did Jesus come? We know this from context, but when did Jesus come? And you can answer. This is how I do with the youth, and so this is like what I'm used to in teaching. When did Jesus come? Did he come immediately? No, he didn't. What did he do? He waited two days. Why? Because he loved them. Now, that's the first point of application or, that we got to pick up on this, from this text. Jesus loved them so... He waited two more days. Isn't that interesting? Typically, if we have the resources and the ability to help those whom we love that are in need, what would our natural response be? To meet the need. To let them languish in suffering and pain? Or to go to them and give them what they need? Well, I'd hope that you would go and give them what they need. We had fist pumping earlier, and now I'm struggling to get the... Yeah, we, we would... 
we would go to them. We would give them what they need because we love them. And God has given us the resources that we may bless them with. And so uh, the text tells us very explicitly that, he, that his waiting is a byproduct of his love, his explicit love for them. Jesus here has a different plan from what the reader would naturally anticipate. Okay? We read that Jesus loves them. And we would naturally anticipate him to run to them and provide immediately. But Jesus has already defined for us the goal of this trial, right? The goal of this illness. And it is what? For the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That is the goal of this. And in Jesus' planning and Jesus' wisdom, he is going to wait before he goes to Mary and Martha and ultimately raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, Pastor Brian shared a quote. Um, well, let me before we get there, a uh, little bit of application here. For us personally, sometimes when we go through trials, it really feels like God is waiting, right? I don't know if you've ever been in the process of interviewing for jobs and you've got a big hope that, hey, maybe I'm going to get this job and you know that there's a handful of different people applying for this job and you're just kind of sitting there wringing your hands and really, really hoping that you get the job, not exactly knowing that you will because you don't know the applicant pool. I've been there. It's a difficult process. It's just a waiting type process. Anxiety sets in and it's difficult. It becomes a trial. Well, sometimes uh, in our trials in life, God does in his wisdom allow us to wait. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. It may be sickness, it may be finances, it may be relationships, it may be any number of different things that God allows us to go through in order that what? Like verse 4 says, that God may be glorified through it and that the Son of Man may be glorified through that. We learn that from this narrative about God's timing. Now, Pastor Brian, he shared a quote a couple years ago. I could not find the quote. I researched it, could not find the quote, but I did remember it. Uh, and it, and it, it says this. I think it was the, the Barnhouse, Donald Gray Barnhouse guy that he always quotes. I think that's who it is. But um, the quote says this. If I had the power of God, I would change a lot about my life. If I had the wisdom of God, I would change nothing at all. And you see that here playing out in how Jesus deals with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. The next detail of uh, this, this text that we need to highlight here is that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for how many days? Four days. That's exactly right. Four days this guy had been in the tomb. Now, it doesn't say that he had been dead four days. He could have been dead now a total of six days. We don't exactly know. Was he buried on the same day? Was he buried immediately? We don't get exactly know. But what we do know is this guy was in the tomb for four days. And that is a long time. Okay, that is a long time. And that's what John is trying to communicate here. And there's a couple of reasons uh, why this four days uh, is significant. This detail is significant. Jewish thought. There was a Jewish belief that the soul stays near the grave for three days, hoping to be able to return to the body. But on the fourth day, but on the fourth day, it sees decomposition setting in and finally leaves. Found this in rabbinical, uh, rabbinical ethical laws. Um, that, that was what they thought. They thought, hey, the spirit's going to stay for three days. Once decomposition starts setting in, the spirit leaves, and there's no hope in that type of situation. By the way, 
The Jews are oftentimes, almost all the times, in John, Jesus' enemies. And so he's, he's waiting to two days, so that it can be four days in the tomb, to teach something to his enemies. It's interesting. And then also John, he is also just trying to paint a bleak picture here. Okay, uh, John is painting a bleak picture where a resolution can only be the result of divine intervention. The guy's been dead four days. He has no hope except for if God steps in and intervenes and heals him. That's John's goal here. Another detail that's important in verse 18 here. Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off. Now, if you were to look back into chapter 10, and I think it's verse 31, it says this, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. That was in Jerusalem. This detail is important because uh, Jesus is going back into the region where these people are trying to stone him. Only two miles. Two miles ain't far. We got cars today. We drive two miles. That's nothing. But we can, you know, in this day and age, two miles is nothing. Like, even though they're walking, that's walking from here to Starbucks. Starbucks from here is 2.8 miles, okay? And let me tell you this. If there's somebody who's wanting to stone me here at Fisherville, I'm not even going to Starbucks. That's too close. I'm getting out of the state. I'm not going, you know? I'm, I'm just not. I'm, I'm avoiding that situation. But Jesus, in an effort to prove uh, his own deity, ultimately, is going to go right into the line of fire with these guys. He does not care. Uh, he, and, and he's living out the truth that he claims in, in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 5. When he says this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you, <coughs> whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus here has only one agenda. To prove his deity... <laughs> to show that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming to the world, which is his Father's will. That's his goal. And so that's the, that's the situation that Jesus jumps into here. The next thing that we're going to look at here is Martha's <laughs> excuse me, interaction with Jesus in verses 20 through 24. And so if you'll read again with me here. <coughs> So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We'll kind of hang, hang tight right there for right now. So this behavior that, that Martha demonstrates is pretty typical for Martha, right? In Luke ten thirty eight, which is another account where uh, it's the account where Martha and Mary are, are in, in the house with Jesus. Martha goes out to greet him in verse 38 of chapter 10. She gets busy doing all the chores, trying to get things together ready. She's a hospitable lady. She's a proactive lady. Mary's there seated. Ironically, Mary is seated in this passage as well that comes right after us or, or where we are. But here, uh, Martha runs out to greet Jesus. This is typical behavior for her. <coughs> but then she makes an anguished plea. Okay? Her anguished plea. And it's this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And we're going to spend just a little bit of time looking at this, understand kind of the thought behind this, and then uh, go from there. So some commentators 
believe that Martha here is expressing frustration towards Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I see water coming my way. Wow, this is amazing. I asked in my mind if I could just have water and it just appeared. This is amazing. Thanks, Nick. <clears throat> so, so again, some commentators think that, she, that she's frustrated at Jesus right now. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't think that's necessarily uh, the case. <coughs> uh, I, I think that Martha here is actually expressing grief. She's simply expressing grief. And in doing so is actually demonstrating her faith. In Jesus, she's participating in what 1 Peter 5, 7 encourages us to do when things are hard. To do what? Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's what Martha's doing here. Uh, she's not frustrated, but she's grieving. You know, it's okay for believers to grieve. It's a good thing. It's a healthy thing uh, to grieve. Uh, whenever you encounter uh, the death, hardship of, of the, the hardship of death, especially of loved ones, family, and friends, it is a good thing thing to grieve. And our Lord welcomes our anxieties. What a great God he is that he would welcome our anxieties. Not that he would say, just shut up and trust me. He doesn't do that. He says, which is what I do when I coach basketball. A lot of times I'm like, just stop asking questions and just go do what I say. I'm not a good God, but God is a good God. All right. Well, he, he asks for our anxieties and, 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 and treats us to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. And this is what Martha is doing. So why is this statement a statement of faith? I believe it is a statement of faith. And first, it's clear, very clear that Martha believes that Jesus has the power to heal. Right. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. He has the power to heal. She believes this. Why does Jesus have the power to heal? Because he's 100% God. He's 100% man. He is um, full deity in full flesh. And he has the power to speak. And we see this all through the, the gospel of John and the other gospels. Uh, and in history, we, we see that Jesus has healed people. He's healed the blind. He's healed the, the lepers. He's healed the sick. He's healed the lame. Uh, and, and that's what he does. Martha believes this. He has the power to heal, and this is a statement of faith. That's the first observation from her statement. The second is this. The statement assumes that Jesus could have prevented Lazarus from dying, yes, but now that Lazarus was dead, that Jesus could do nothing. I think she's probably a little bit blinded by the difficulty of the circumstance. You get that? She says, Jesus, if you had been here, he maybe wouldn't have died. Or he wouldn't have died. It's not a maybe. He wouldn't have died. And now that he is dead, she's lost hope. I think Martha here is a believer, but I think she lacks faith. I think many of us in here are believers, but we could grow in our faith. And I think Jesus is using this trial to do that very thing. While, while Martha, yes, is a close companion, she believes that he can heal she believes that, that he is God, that he is the son of God. We'll see that in verse 27. She's going to make very explicit claims about who Jesus is. Yet, when trials come, the future seems difficult and hope can be squandered. And I think that's what happens here. She does have faith, but she does not have perfect faith. 
And that's why this passage is so encouraging for not only unbelievers, but for believers. That's us. We don't have perfect faith on this side of glory. We do not. We don't need to live like it. We're we're vulnerable human beings. We have difficult and hard things that happen to us in life. But God stands there to grow us, to challenge us through our circumstances and through his covenant faithfulness to us. He will always keep his promises, though they may be delayed, to grow us in our faith. So that's the second observation, is that while she believes he can heal, she believes Jesus can do nothing now. Thirdly, this statement assumes that the trial resulted from Jesus' absence, right? The trial resulted from Jesus' absence. You ever feel like you don't know where God is when life is spiraling? That Jesus maybe isn't in the details? That God's not maybe in control? Or maybe you question it? Maybe deep down, like in, in your deepest thought life, you, you, you trust the fact that God will keep his promises. But when times, hard times come, you, you, you question Okay. I mean, I know it's difficult to admit in a room like this, like where you're surrounded by family members and friends and fellow believers. But if we're honest with ourselves here, we will a lot of times question God's goodness when things comes our way instead of using or, or looking at these difficult difficulties as an opportunity to deeply embed our trust and faith more in him. Well, Jesus knew of Lazarus' illness and he knows He knows your hardships as well. That's one of the hopes of this passage. Maybe God is allowing or has allowed you to go through hardships because he's wanting to use you as a vessel for his glory. Verse 4. Verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. This is Martha continuing on in her statement. She had made her previous statement. God, if Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, I will give you. I think this also speaks to the fact that Martha does have faith in Jesus. And that she is highlighting and that she has not lost confidence in the fact that Jesus does have a particular intimacy uh, with God, which results in an unprecedented fruitfulness in his prayer life. Uh, she, she knows that, and, and Jesus has already made this claim. So what made the Pharisees so mad? I and the father are one. Okay. She, she here, Martha is saying this very thing. When he said that to the Jews, they picked up stones in chapter 10, verse 31 to stone him again. But here, this is Martha's hope, even in the hardship. Verse 23 continues. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So these are Jesus' words of condolences, okay? <clears throat> and, and a lot of, I thought this was really insightful. A lot of commentators uh, highlighted the fact that that was probably what the Pharisees were telling Martha at this time. And we've probably been there too whenever you have somebody go through a hardship um, that you know. Uh, maybe it's a death in the family and you go to them and you say, yes, uh, we are very sorry for your loss, but thankfully... Uh, this person was a believer. He'll, he will rise again or he will, be, he will be with the Father in heaven. He's happier now than he was on the earth. You know, we, we do that kind of thing. And that's probably what the Pharisees were doing to Martha and Mary. Uh, by the way, Mary actually says the same thing that Martha says. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died in um, a later verse. Um, just in the next paragraph. 
And so they had probably been together. They had probably been receiving these condolences. Um, and, and I actually just experienced this. Uh, just the other day before we went out of town. In fact, I think we were, we were loading the car to go down to Georgia. And I saw Thomas's wife, the guy that I mentioned in the opening. His, his wife, Anna, um, was in the yard. And so I just went over there said, hey, how's Thomas doing? Kind of heard through the grapevine things weren't good. But wanted her to know that we cared Wanted her to know that we would be praying for her and, and that, you know, she's not necessarily just going through this thing in isolation. Like people care for her. I told her our whole church was praying for her, for him. Um, and, and she explained, well, um, you know, cancer is very aggressive, went to a spine. He can't walk. And now we're going, now the, the next step is just to do radiation to deal with the symptoms. So like they're not giving this guy, and medically, they're not giving this guy a chance to live. Um, and then they're only trying to use medical practice and services to try to help him be a little more comfortable in life. And here I am, loading up the dog, loading up all these presents, loading up my sweet little family, happy as can be, about to go to Georgia to see my family. It's difficult. And, and I walked away, and I was like, man, I feel powerless in that situation to help. And I am. I can't fix it. I cannot fix what she's going through in that situation. Absolutely cannot. You cannot fix somebody else's deep trials uh, like that. But here's the deal. Jesus does not say he will rise again in the same way that I would say some, some condoling uh, comments to Anna. Or in the same way that the Pharisees would say, that to Mary and Martha. No, Jesus says it with the power to actually do it. God has the power. Jesus, when he says that, he has the power to do something about it. Isn't that a hopeful situation? And we're going to see where that leads uh, here in just a little bit. But that is hope in the situation, even though Martha doesn't quite get it, right? Jesus says, he will be, he, your brother will rise again in verse 23. And then verse 24, she says this. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So sure, yeah, absolutely. She believes that, that Jesus uh, will return. We see that at the end of verse 27. Uh, surely she believes that. Uh, surely, um, if you're a believer, you believe that. That one day, uh, this is true. When uh, believers who have died, who have fallen asleep, Whose, whose souls, I believe, are in heaven now. On that last day when Jesus returns, he, we, will, we will see and experience a bodily resurrection. That's the hope that we have through death. That's the hope. That is a hopeful situation, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It is a hopeful situation. Martha believes that, but she does not believe that Jesus is going to intervene with his full power. But Jesus is not powerless, and he will heal a man even after four days. Verse 24, Martha said to him, oh, we just read that, so we can move on, sorry. So deep down at this point, Martha's deepest longings, okay? The thing that she wants more than anything right now, and this is, if you've ever experienced death of a close friend or of a loved one, your longing in that situation, typically, is that that person would be healed and that a person would be with you, that you could laugh together, spend time together, experience life together, do whatever together, drink coffee together, hang out together. 
you do all these things. And that is her deepest longing in this moment. Well, it's in, <coughs> excuse me, it is in her longing that uh, Jesus is going to make a very profound statement. Okay? He's going to make a very profound statement here in verse 25 when he says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And we'll start right there for now. He's using this hardship in her life to teach her something about himself. This, this statement is a little bit odd, isn't it, to begin with? Like, we're talking about Lazarus. We're talking about him being raised on the, in, in, the, in the last day. We're talking about resurrection. This is kind of a hopeful type thing, and Jesus points back to himself. But the thing that he's going to... It's not him being selfish here. He's not being self-consumed, self-centered. He is just telling her where her hope should lie. He says this, I am the resurrection and the life. <laughs> this I, these I am statements in John uh, appear seven times. Okay, And before this, he said it three other times where he, is, where he has used some sort of need, some sort of human need to point back to himself as being the fulfillment, the true fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of that very need. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. <clears throat> In chapter 6 of John, you read the, you read the story of uh, the crowds following Jesus. They go away. And then the, the disciples look to Jesus and say, we need to feed these people. <clears throat> and Jesus does what? These people are hungry. And he says, I am what? The bread of life. They're hungry. They want bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. That dissatisfaction that you feel in your, <coughs> in your, in your stomach right now, that emptiness that you feel, I am the one who can bring true fulfillment. I'm the one who can give you true sustenance. Jesus says that. John chapter 8, the Feast of Tabernacles. He's, he has another I am statement. The Feast of Tabernacles. You need to know this for understanding why he says what he says. The Feast of Tabernacles is a celebration where uh, the Jews would build tents and they would go live in the tents uh, for a certain amount of time. And these, this, this, this ceremonial celebration commemorated the time that they were in the wilderness. They were in darkness, okay? That for 40 years, it's remembering we were in darkness for 40 years because of uh, God's judgment um, against us. We were in darkness and Jesus speaks to his followers in that moment, he says this, I am the light of the world. You are in darkness. You need light. You need to see. That's me. I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, when people are casting out the Pharisees, or I'm sorry, when people are being cast out by the, by the Pharisees from the synagogue, Jesus proclaims this, I am what? The door. I am the door. And if anyone enters by my name, he will be saved. John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door. People casting you out, not me. You come to me. You believe in me. You trust in the promises that God has made and are fulfilled in me. I will not cast you out. I am the door. Nobody can, can no robber can come through my door, through my gate, 
and steal you, my sheep, from me. Not going to happen. Jesus is the secure door. That's what he says. I am the door. (coughs) And now Jesus recognizes Martha's deepest longing and proclaims the very thing that she also is longing for. Jesus is that which our hearts need when we are hungry. When we need light in the wilderness of life, Jesus is that light. When we are downcast, Jesus is the door that no robber can break down in, or break into and steal us away. And now we learn that Jesus is the solution to death itself. He is the resurrection and the life. Powerful statement. Verse 25 at the end. This reality about Jesus, that he is the resurrection and the life bears implications for those who believe. And that's what he highlights here in the second half of verse 25. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. These are great promises uh, that we need uh, to highlight. Okay, Uh, What is belief here? Well, belief is just simple trust in the promises of God revealed in Jesus. Believe in him. Place your hope in him, your trust in him, lean on him. That's what it means to believe. And as we do that, it results in, yes, though we die a physical death, yet shall we live. This this earth is not our hope. We see that all throughout the epistles. We see that all throughout Jesus' teaching. This earth is not all that there is. It's good to be reminded of that, by the way. Because a lot of times I find myself looking for answers in the world because I, I'm a naturalist at heart. Like, I mean, like I, I think in terms of naturalism more than I want to, don't want to, I re- rebuke that, hate that, uh, and battle against that. But, but we need to be reminded that this earth is not all that there is. Sometimes we will buy into the lie that it is and our hopes will be wrapped up in our successes, our earthly successes, our ministry, Um, our family, our friends, our finances, our job satisfaction, our general life satisfaction. Like we, we will really as humans place our hope and trust in these things, but this is not what is ultimate in life. And for the believer who has faith and trust in the promises of God revealed in Christ, the result is that though you will die, you will hundred percent death rate, hundred percent. One out of one persons, everyone, dies. You might say, yeah, that's morbid on the new year, Blake. It's reality. Uh, It's by coming to understand that. Coming to understand that uh, our hope cannot be in this world. Our hope cannot be in this life because we all die. That we run to Jesus as the resurrection and life here. And then he final, he he, he puts a a great little question uh, here Verse 26 to Martha, after he says these great promises, says this, do you believe this? And that's a question for us. As we read this text, you know, John, inspired by the Spirit, is writing this um, to, yes, show that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God who's come into the world, that you may believe. (laughs) And, And so as we read about Jesus interacting with Martha... And he's asking her this question, do you believe? It forces us as readers to ask that of ourselves. Do you believe? Sure, you may have faith in the promises of God revealed in Christ. But 
can that faith grow deeper? Yes, Martha shows us that here. And she says this to him, and this is the final thing that we'll look at, Martha's confession. She said to him, verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now she makes three claims about who Jesus is right here. First of all, she says what? Jesus is the Christ. He's the Christ. What is the Christ? Who is the Christ? Why is this significant and important? The Christ is the anointed one. And that's literally what it means. Anointed one uh, who was long anticipated. He was the Messiah who would come and save the world from their sins. He's the person that all of history hinges upon. These Jews who were around him, who were watching him. By the way, I meant to mention too, another reason why John throws the whole two-mile deal in about Bethany only being two miles from Jerusalem is because many Jews were there. You know, They're watching this guy. They're watching him. They're, they're con, con, consoling. Uh, they're offering condolences. They're watching this guy. And he's asking Martha these explicit questions. And surely they're kind of wringing their hands in the background saying... Don't trust this thief. Don't trust this guy. But she confirms he is the anointed one in front of the Jews. In front of the Jews. The Messiah who would come to save the people from their sins. And I ask, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the the anointed one who came into the world to save you? To save your sisters, your brothers, your mother, your father, your children, your friends... From their sins. And by faith, he does that. The second thing that she proclaims about Jesus here, (laughs) in this pretty complex answer, she could have just said yes. Uh, She says this, he's the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus was not just an earthly king. Again, chapter 10, we see Jesus claiming that he and the father are one. That he is the son of God. The Jews pick up stones to throw at him. What kind of faith, Martha knows this, what kind of faith does it take and confidence in her Lord does it take to say in front of the Jews, you are the son of God. Surely they're grumbling in the background by now. He's the son of God. He's not just an earthly king who would save the people from their earthly foes. No, he was fully God and he was fully man and only fully God and only someone who was fully God and fully man could offer the right sacrifice for the sins of the world. And then finally she says this about Jesus. That Jesus is coming into the world. He, uh, the son of God who is coming into the world. There at the end of verse 27. He has come into the world. And he will come again. And that's our hope. That's her hope. In the day of resurrection. In the last day. Uh, that, that yes he has come. He was here face to face with her. We encounter him face to face. As we read God's word. As we study him. As we, as we learn about him, as God reveals that to us, we learn uh, that he has come into the world. And we also learn from his word that he will return again. The first time he came, this is what we just celebrated, he came as a baby in a manger. It's a very important thing that God would humble himself to take on the form of human flesh so that he could live the life that we should have lived in front of a holy God but failed to do. He did that. He came and humbled himself to be born in a manger as an infant. But the second time that he comes, he will come as a righteous warrior king to bring 
full life to all bodies of believers who have fallen asleep, whose souls are with him. And he will come and he will establish the new heavens and new earth. And he will ultimately put away sin, death, and the devil. And that is Martha's hope. And I hope that's your hope. That's my hope this morning. And it's my hope that even as I was up here preaching that my soul would be gripped by that reality. That my heart would be gripped with that re- by that reality in such a way that I would leave here loving Jesus more and hating my sin more as I now go. And we know the, how the story goes from here. In just a few verses, a few paragraphs down, Lazarus will be raised from the dead. Jesus makes a claim and he does it. On his terms, in his timing. He does it. And this will lead to rejoicing by some and anger by others, namely the Jews, who would then seek to kill Jesus. But you know what they do? Not only, these guys, they not only seek to kill Jesus, these guys seek to kill Lazarus. Isn't that baffling? These guys, hard-hearted. Serious. Chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. Read it. Verse 10 here. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death, as, to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. These guys are not only going to kill Jesus, who claimed to be the Son of God, they're going to kill the person who he raised from the dead. Don't expect the world to love you, okay, as you live out your faith. Don't expect that. When people are coming to know Christ, the exclusivity of the gospel, by your witness, by your life, don't expect people just to be happy with you. Not the world. Won't do it. They may not seek to kill you yet, but they, are, they will seek to ridicule you. They'll seek to call you narrow-minded, and they'll seek to squander your hope that you have. And then we also know the rest of the story after that. Jesus will live the life that, that Lazarus should have lived, and he would live the life that you and I should have lived before a holy God. And then, uh, then he would die the death that Lazarus deserved and that you and I, you and I also deserve the death that Jesus bore on the cross. And this is where John is going. And all of these things he's written so that we may believe that Jesus is the son of God. And then it doesn't end there. Jesus is not only not only does he die, but he is buried for 3 days and then gloriously resurrecting, bringing resurrected, bringing full fulfillment to his statement about himself being the resurrection and the life. His resurrection signaled that That sin and death had ultimately been defeated. Though they are still present in the world today, he will come again. And he will put an end to sin, death, and the devil. Do you believe this? That's Jesus' question to you this morning. Let's pray. Dear God, we do thank you for your word to us. Uh, God, I pray that, um, that we've been encouraged by the reading and the teaching of your word. Uh, God, we pray that, that you would bring hope in the darkness, that for those of us who are struggling to trust in you fully, um, that we would do so, that we would put our hope in the one who, who has come and will come again, to make all the sad things come untrue as they were originally planned, that we may live with God, our Father in heaven, and glorify him forever. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
I once was lost in darkest night Yet thought I knew the way The sin that promised joy and life Had led me to the grave I had no hope that you would own A rebel to your will And if you had not loved me first I would refuse you still But as I ran my hell-bound race Indifferent to the cross You looked upon my helpless state And led me to the cross And I beheld God's love displayed You suffered in my place You bore the wrath reserved for me Now all I know is grace Hallelujah All I have is Christ Jesus is my life. Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, you ransomed life in any way you choose and let my